Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome in. It's episode 63 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, I know we don't want to do this, but we got to get into the Canucks flight. So here we go. Canucks began the first of a three-game road trip against Toronto with a 7-3 loss. Austin Matthews scored a pair, and old man Spezza ended up with a hat trick. Didn't get any better game two. 5-1 win for the Leafs. A pair for Simmons, a pair for Matthews. Besser breaks the shutout streak. We get Mott with an injury. We get Holtby and Miller going at it. It, it just, tell us about the next game, Doug. Maybe it's better. It didn't get much better in the rubber match, Pete. The Canucks ended up with the same result, a 3-1 loss this time to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They did have a much stronger start to the game. The first and second periods, the Canucks were badly outplaying the Leafs. But then that third period came, and in an 11-second stretch, Austin Matthews and Alex Kerfoot sealed the deal and sealed the victory. The one bright side is Elias Pettersson did score a goal. Well, Doug, I know we've only done three of those Canucks flights since we brought in this segment, but that was easily the most painful uh, of the three. I did not enjoy that one. But anyways, folks, welcome in episode 63. Uh, We have a lot to talk about on this episode, so we're going to keep it moving pretty quickly. We have Brendan, also known as Jabbo underscore Vancouver on Twitter, joining us later for a conversation about everything that happened today with TSN 1040 and the situation with the Canucks as well. Um, also, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. We have the podcast at Canucks Speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, this ever-growing outro playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. There'll be another funky jam added to that playlist. Before we get into it all, though, Doug, I did want to talk uh, a little bit about a a couple of things. First of all, the Super Bowl was this week, and uh, it was set up to be a classic. I felt like it turned into a bit of a yawner, but uh, what were your takeaways from the Super Bowl? Yeah, it was bittersweet. I mean, I'm a Pats fan, so, you know, I wanted Brady to get that seventh Super Bowl. Uh, Patriots not being in the game, you know, I want to be able to cheer for somebody, so, yeah, I wanted to see Brady win. He did win it, and congratulations to him and Gronkowski and the rest of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, but, yeah, it's bittersweet seeing that, seeing him you know, hoist the Lombardi Trophy in a different uniform. I will say this. I feel like the two big things to come out of the Super Bowl were, is Brady the GOAT and that weekend meme that everybody's been using over and over again. That weekend meme has been so relevant for so many things as well lately. It's pretty funny. I thought the weekend was pretty good. I thought that was a a decent halftime show for sure. Uh, The game definitely, as it went on, you realized it wasn't going to be a close game. That was what I just kept saying. It was like, okay, keep it to a two-possession game. It's like, ah, try and keep it to a three-possession game. uh, The game kind of got lost down the stretch there. But regardless, I mean, what Brady did, that's pretty amazing. He's got more Super Bowls now than any franchise. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, Also, you know, shout out to the Tampa Bay defense. I think they deserve a ton of credit to the fact that they held the Kansas City Chiefs off the scoreboard from uh, not off the scoreboard, pardon me, but held them from getting a touchdown all game. That's a pretty impressive feat that I don't think any team has 
ever done to the Chiefs since Mahomes took over. It was also the first time Mahomes lost a game by double digits since he's become the starting quarterback. Yeah, they only kicked field goals. I mean, uh, pretty pretty impressive. So, anyways, congrats to the Bucks. Uh, I mean, good year to be a Tampa Bay sports fan. You got the Stanley Cup. You get the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, congrats, congrats to you guys. You got the Raptors as well. Play, they're playing out of Tampa, Tampa, aren't they? Is that that's where the Raptors are? I I think so. But part of me also thought there may be an Arizona, but no, it would make more sense for them to be on the East Coast than Arizona. So yeah, they must be playing in Tampa. So good year to be uh, a fan over in Tampa. Um, also, I want to give a thanks to Jamie Dodd for inviting me onto his show on Saturday. That was pretty cool. Get to be back on the radio for first time in a long time. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So I just wanted to give Jamie Dodd and the Sportsnet crew, uh, Big Nazar as well, uh, a special thanks for, for getting me on there. That was a good little spot. Got to name drop you a couple times, Doug. Yeah, you killed it, Pete. Uh, you, honestly, you, you're you a professional. You sounded like you were <laughs> you were uh, an every weekend slot. Uh, I think the segment went on for 10, 15 minutes and you didn't miss a beat, man. I know I'd be fumbling and stumbling and umming and on. <laughs> you, you you were awesome, man. I have to shout out to you for that. I appreciate it. Well, they, they gave me a bit of a heads up of what we were going to talk about. So I had my, my Coles notes uh, already as well there and just made sure it was good to go. But yeah, it was a lot of fun and uh, hopefully a good little promo for our podcast as well. Although I realized after I was off the air, I didn't even quote our twitter handle or anything but you know whatever it's people remember the podcast hopefully and not the twitter but so i still got still made a couple of rookie mistakes there um are you ready to get into around the room and talk about a couple of non-canucks things before we get into all the canucks stuff i am i think you're going to want to hear this uh, no, i'm just playing I'm, I'm having fun here at the hockey game so a couple of pieces of news came down the line today uh let's start with what happened in pittsburgh and we talked a little bit about this on the last podcast with rumors of ron hextel going there they get hextel but then they also get brian burke yeah, I don't think anyone was really shocked that Hextel ended up getting hired as the GM in Pittsburgh. Brian Burke getting hired as the president seemingly came out of nowhere. Burke indicated that he had no desire to go back into an executive role with any team in the league. Yeah, I, I was shocked about that one. What about you, Pete? Well, having I, I read Burke's book recently, and uh, I've always I've always liked Brian Burke, and I mean I, I understand why people don't uh, or they find him outspoken or or whatever, but I've always liked the guy. He's brutally honest. He drafted the Sedins, so I mean, really, every Canucks fan has to have a bit of a, a soft spot for Brian Burke. Um, it it caught me by surprise. He kept this one quiet. And I do know that if he's going there, he would have told ownership that the only way I'm coming to this organization is if I get final say on everything. And so that's going to be really interesting to watch now is how do Burke and Hextel work together? They both have a lot of experience. They both have a, a lot of truculence from their, their hockey days. <laughs> what are they going to do with they're uh, with with this core in Pittsburgh. I mean, this is a they're in a very interesting spot. I mean, Pittsburgh for years they've depleted their prospect pool. You're getting Malkin and Crosby at the latter halves of their careers. What approach do they take, and what what do they think? Are they going to push this window that they have a little bit further? Are they going to start tearing it down? 
Um, I, I'm, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. And then, of course, the whole dynamic with Hextel, the ex-Flyer in Pittsburgh. Uh, I have a couple of friends who are, are Flyers fans. I think that's going to be interesting to watch as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the fact that, you know, Burke would want full autonomy because if the reports are to believe that Jim Rutherford had a deal in place, that ownership nixed, there was a rumor, I didn't know a lot of other media guys will come out and said that, no, that wasn't the case. But there was a strong rumor going around that he had a deal in place to trade Chris Letang and to get some younger assets and potential picks back. And that ownership came in and said no, and then Rutherford immediately stepped down. So that is interesting that those reports came out that, okay, it wasn't Letang that he was trying to trade. It was another defenseman, but he was still you know, told he couldn't make the deal. He decides to step down because obviously he doesn't have full control over his job anymore if he can't make trades. And then you have like a guy like Burke, who I agree with you, Pete. He's a very strong, brash, stubborn hockey personality who isn't going to want to listen to ownership or be handcuffed by ownership to not be able to make the moves that he thinks uh, this team needs to make. I also wonder, and they had to have tipped him off. I mean, they would have had to. But I also wonder how Hextel feels about this. Like, it was Hextel who, you know, has been interviewing. I think he had a second or third interview. I, he definitely had two. I don't know if he had a third interview uh, with the team. And then all of a sudden, he gets the job. And then out of nowhere, literally before the ink could dry on his contract, oh, by the way, Brian Burke's the new president of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Penguins as well. I think he must have known, and I like to think that uh, hopefully this is uh, something that he may have even wanted to. I mean, this is his first general managing job. It's good to have that experience come in with you. And L.A. has a hockey operations department. It's something that he would have been used to with the structure in L.A. So I think he would have known it was on uh, the complete down low. And maybe it was something, like I said, maybe he actually wanted that. It is going to be really fascinating to see how the two work together. Um, but I, I do know that knowing the way that Brian Burke is, is that he would have drawn up his own contract. He is a lawyer. He's a former player agent. He would have drawn it up. And there's wording in there that says, if ownership is going to nix anything that we're trying to do, I'm out. Hextel was the GM in Philly. So this isn't his first uh, GM job. Oh, right. It was too. So I was, I was just thinking... LA there but I, I do think that it's uh it, it's it's something that a structure that he probably I, I do think any good GM though wants that uh that person above you I mean why wouldn't you it's is uh it's it's you're only gonna I mean general manager is generally the one that the as we know in this city that uh that the the fans all use as the lightning rod right like why not surround yourself with as many smart good people to make your job better, have a scouting department, have a hockey operations department, have people looking at all the analytical stuff, have people looking at the like, well, well how can we travel better? How can we, you know, I, I think it was, was it Gillis who had a, a sleep coach with yeah. the, the Canucks as well? Like, I mean, why not? Like, why not have a team around you? And I mean, we talk about this, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this with, with Brendan here, but uh, I mean, that's something the Canucks seem to have a lot of holes in their organization when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, it's been reported at nauseum that the Canucks have one of the smallest front offices in the entire league. It's, you know, almost a two-headed monster. And I use that comparison lightly. Uh, but, you know, of it being Jim Benning and John Weisbrod, and that's kind of it. They're the two voices and most other voices from, again, if you believe the reports that are out there, are kind of pushed to the side that it's Weisbrod and Benning and everybody else comes to the table with their opinion and whether or not they decide to you know, listen to their opinions. I guess it depends on what day of the week it is. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what's happened in Pittsburgh. Um, also, just wanted to mention Miko Koivu today, out of nowhere, retiring. Longtime Minnesota Wild. He got seven games in there with the Blue Jackets. Um, and I mean, the whole Blue Jackets situation right now with Patrick Laine, that's that's a, kind of an interesting thing as well. But Miko Koivu, a uh, longtime guy who gets drafted in your hockey pool team for 50 to 60 points, retiring. Uh, how do you remember Miko Koivu? I. Uh- I mean, at first, I think everyone thought of him as Saku Koivu's little brother, but he uh, etched out his own career and in some ways may have been a better, had a better long-term career than Saku Koivu. I don't think he ever reached any of Koivu's highs as far as point totals or goal totals, anything like that. But Miku Koivu is a solid NHL player. I don't know. I don't think he'll be in the hall of fame or anything like that, but he was the captain of the Minnesota wild for years and he was their heart and soul guy. You know, his numbers aren't that far off. Saku's. I just, I just looked him up. Uh, like Miko, 1,035 games, Saku, Saku, sorry, 1,124, Saku, 832 points, Miko, 711 points. So really both pretty impressive numbers. Um, just quickly as well with uh, the Columbus thing with uh, Line and, Tortorella. Do you have any quick thoughts on that? It's still early. I mean, I think most people aren't shocked that Line A was stapled to the bench, but there was a number of players that game that were stapled to the bench. It wasn't just Line A being singled out or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, it's going to, I think it's going to take a lot of, a lot of effort from both Tortorella and Line A to get Line A to that level that I think a lot of people expect him to be. So far, from what we've seen out of that trade, the centerpiece of that trade has turned out to be Jack Roslovich so far. Dubois, of course, hasn't played in Winnipeg. I believe he's playing his first game tonight. Uh, and Line getting stapled. Uh, it's And Jack Roslovich with a beauty goal the other night. So who, who would have saw, seen that one coming a week or so after the trade? Yeah, the local uh, Columbus kid uh, coming back to Columbus and lighting it up. Who knew? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something to see. All right, well, we'll see where this goes. Uh, Tortorella and his star players, as we've long known, is something to behold, and who knows what line his long term history will be. Um, I just also wanted to mention it is Black History Month. Uh, we didn't really talk about that on the last episode. Uh, we're aware of it, um, but we we focused a bit more on the uh, Women and Girls in Sports Day that was happening. We are going to be doing something for Black History Month. Uh, we are just working on it. We haven't quite decided which directions we're going to go, but we will have some things coming down the line. So I just wanted to let people know that that is something we're very much aware of. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love Black History Month for a lot of various reasons. It turns a lot of focus onto some of my favorite athletes and musicians. And, and uh, we're going to do something. So watch this space. Um, Doug, should we do the uh, chirping here and then uh, get into it with Brandon? Yeah, I'm ready. I got my trips ready to go. What about you, Pete? I do. I'm going to lay my first one on you right here. Uh, And it comes from Beret's Rollerblades, and you can follow them at Beret's Blades. Great name and one of my favorite hockey cards, uh, as it tongue-in-cheek. The guys who lost their jobs at TSN today just got to dig deep and start their own podcast group, form a small company, create a sound space, get a name, and fucking hustle. They will own the airwaves without needing to pander to executives. Fucking do it, boys! Exclamation mark. I mean, I agree. I think uh, the way media is presented to the masses these days, there's a lot more do-it-yourself and startups happening 
uh, from people's basements or, you, you know, you and I have been doing a podcast for what, a year and a half now. Um, mm -hmm. So I definitely think that there is a market for it. And I definitely think some of those personalities are people want to hear from them. They want to hear their opinions and their thoughts on this team and on this market. And, you know, uh, the, uh, Halford and Bruff, I'm big fans of those two guys. I would listen to their show every morning and I would absolutely tune into their podcast if they decided to start one. My first trip comes from Wayne King. You could give him a follow, Always Wayne King. As fierce as the radio wars got between fans, we're worse off for losing it. I feel awful for the employees. Some will have no problem finding work right away, but many are left out in the cold in a tough unemployment market. Yeah, and uh, you know, shout out to Wayne King. I love how he's got Carl Picklington as his uh, picture as well. Uh, that guy, that guy cracks me up. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, the whole timing with every. I mean, there's never a good time to do it, but just the whole timing of this now and with. The let's talk and and, and everything else. I, it's I, man, it's it just leaves a really bad taste in this fan base. And this fan base, as we know, uh, doesn't take kindly to things like that. And it doesn't take kindly to what we see as Eastern. Well, it is. It's it's an Eastern conglomerate coming in and wreaking havoc on our little Western outpost here. And uh, um, you know, I'm gonna re I'm gonna reserve a, a few of my thoughts for it until uh, we get Brandon on because I know he's got a lot to say about this as well with with uh, being in the industry. Um, so I'm gonna go into my next chirp, which is a little bit a little bit lighter, um, and this is from the Vancouver Canucks. Probably heard of them, um, the Vancouver hashtag Canucks now. Um, but I wanted to get a mention in this because this is also something that is happening this week. The Canucks will wear limited edition warm up jerseys ahead of Thursday's Lunar New Year game night. To celebrate the year of the ox yeah i think they look really great last year they did was it the year of the rat uh and i know i went to a game and they actually gave out a patch i got one of the year of the rat patches don't you have the the shirt pete i i do i bought one of the t-shirts yeah i i hope they continue to do this till at least the full lunar calendar has is finished and then there'd be a complete set uh i'm a little annoyed because i believe it was two years ago was the year of the pig which is my year uh, and they didn't do it that year. They obviously started it last year, I believe. But yeah, I, I love the jersey. I, I love the color. I love the gold, uh, the design of the ox as well. It, yeah, they're great, man. I, I think they're super slick. Uh, I love what they're doing. Um, they're really expensive. I know that to get my hands on one of the jerseys. So I don't know if that'll be happening. But uh, especially with the huge Chinese community we have there and the, the really passionate Chinese fans. And I've got quite a few friends who are celebrating Chinese New Year. It's a weird year for it, obviously, with everything else. Um, I'm going to be celebrating with them virtually, going to go down to Chinatown and get me some dumplings and things and cook up my own little feast. But yeah, they're sick. So uh, I just wanted to mention that. Newtown Bakery. Make sure you hit up Newtown Bakery. That's where I'm going, man. And I expect there to be a bit of a lineup for those pork buns. And my final chirp is actually from a fellow podcast. It's from the Pucks on Net crew. You can give them a follow at Pucks on Net CA. Five embarrassing Canucks losses in a row, not having a lead for 300 minutes and a coach and GM spouting off one too many excuses. The time is now for a change in Vancouver, but are we going to see it? Oh boy, uh, that's, 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 a, that's a hot take. Um, I will say 
Four of those losses were embarrassing. The one last night, it was less embarrassing. It was just harder to swallow. But the, the team, the Canucks actually, I thought were the better team last night. But yes, it was a, a bad road trip, a one in five road trip. Um, as, as far as firing, I mean, I just don't know right now what firing anyone is going to actually accomplish. I mean, it is not as easy as other years to replace people. And one thing that the Canucks have shown is that they're not, looking at ways to bring in extra salary and remember you do have both these guys under contract right now so if you bring in if you fire anyone and bring anyone in that's going to up your payroll and i just i don't see them doing anything until the off season um i mean i think we're going to see trades before we're going to see firings which i'm not opposed to i mean we got to look at that uh, as well with with some of the the players that we have um doug let's uh let's get brendan on the line here and jump into that Joining us, our guest this week, we have Brendan, also known to a lot of you out there as Jabo underscore Vancouver. Brendan, thanks for joining us today on this wild and wacky day week we've had in this city. Uh, yeah, when you guys asked me to come on last night, I was thinking, you know, we'll talk for a half an hour about the Canucks we'll, <laughs> and that will be it. But, um, you know, obviously what happened today was awful. Um, and, and, and you feel for it, but I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you talk about what that is before we get into it. Well, yeah. And Doug, I know uh, you're a big fan of TSN radio as well. Um, so maybe want to start us off here with what do you think of the way this all went down today? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty shocking, right? I, I, TSN's generally my go-to nothing against the Sportsnet crew. I do like a lot of the guys over there. Uh, Bick Nazar, Satyar Shaw, Scott Rintoul. Um, but I'm a TSN guy. Uh, every morning I would start my morning with uh, Helford and Bruff. And you knew after last week, I believe Bell made some major cuts. Um, was it uh, Dan O'Toole from uh, the Jane Dan show got cut. There's a couple of other people that got cut. Natasha, I forget her last name, but she was one of the broadcasters on TSN. Sorry. Um, so you knew that, you know, maybe there was going to be some potential cuts coming to 1040, the Vancouver market, but to ax the entire network, just mind boggling. Yeah. And Brandon, what do you think about the way it went down and it, it was handled? I mean, there's a lot of outcry in the city about just the whole way it, sh- it kind of shook down today. Uh, I, I mean, obviously I don't like it. Um, I, 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 had to have been a better way. I mean, to start the day with your morning show, just going like it's any normal day. And then to all of a sudden they're off the air. You put up some cryptic cryptic message saying that you're going to let people know at nine 30, what's happened to TSN 1040. Um, the rumor being that they found out via Twitter. Uh, it doesn't speak well to bell. It just doesn't. It makes them look, Bush League, it makes them look uncaring. And for a company that that promotes mental health, it, it's, an, it's an awful look. And we all know that. I, I mean, we saw the outcry on Twitter. We saw what people were saying. People aren't happy. People are talking about boycotting Bell. And obviously, that's their right to do it. And, and, and I, I've got no problem with that at all because it just it didn't. The optics of it are so awful. And then to have your song that you play – because they started playing music right after 
is good riddance. Like uh, somebody that like, I don't know. I, I mean, I've worked in too many industries to know that there's just a lot of people out there that just aren't bright, but I mean, somebody had to know that that was not a good look. It was just so bad. Well, and it, it felt extremely tone deaf, didn't it? Uh, just, uh, I mean, this is a very passionate marketplace. The listeners were there, the, the fans were there and the way this was all delivered, especially with the proximity to the let's talk campaign. Uh, it, it just feels like, there was a, a lot of swings and misses here, wasn't there? Well, don't forget that Bell also collected hundreds of millions of dollars in wage subsidies from the federal government this past year since the pandemic. And they've, you know, looked for uh, bailout cash here and there as well. It just, it just reeks of corporate greed. Uh, and it just, the amount of lives this has affected and the amount of people this has affected. And yeah, it just it blows my mind. So what do you guys think is the future now with, uh, with, Vancouver sports media there's obviously it's been a changing landscape for as long as I've been around going back to late nights with Dan Russell and you mentioned sports page before and and now it's it's never really for the last couple of decades being a one-trick pony what do you guys see for the future now I know it's obviously it's still pretty fresh but how do you see us coming out of this well for the longest time I mean even back to when I was in uh taking broadcast at, at, at BCIT. And then, you know, when I, when I was working behind the scenes for Hockey Night in Canada, it, you knew the job market was narrowing. You knew that employers were trying to do a, a, as much as they could with as little as possible. They, they're trying to cut corners wherever they can. And, and some of it, you know, you, you know if, especially if you're in print, and you're working at a newspaper. Okay, well, that makes sense because a lot of those jobs are going online now and, and things were changing. The landscape of that industry had completely changed. But, you know, when you when you hear about things of, like, like we heard today with TSN 1040, where you just shut out shut down a, a, a station that's been on for 20 plus years, that we're actually just celebrating that anniversary. It makes you wonder. I mean, Again, it just sadly, that's an industry that's very difficult. And, and, you know, I've had people ask me, I've had people on Twitter that know that I went to school for it and that I worked in it, what I think about that industry. And I just say, you know, you're going to, you're going to probably lose your job at some point. I, I, I think that's inevitable for almost everybody. It, it's rare for you to go from point A to you know, the retirement in your career point B without being let go at some point. It just doesn't happen it's rare, especially with, and it's only going to get worse as things narrow and the jobs narrow and things continue to change. I mean, it's just going to mean less and less jobs in the industry. And especially for people who want to live on the West coast. I mean, you now have one, one radio station and no TV whatsoever. It's just, you couldn't have a more narrow, narrow market for a job out here on the West coast for sports. Do you think the medium of radio is dying as a whole? I mean, I know you've got things like podcasts popping up and, you know, things like the athletic that popped up that, you know, for print media now going online, but do you think uh, radio as, as a whole is, is slowly a dying art form? Um, I don't know if it will ever completely die out. I think there will always be room for, for radio, but it certainly isn't what it was. Um, you know, I mean, I remember you remember 20, 30 years ago when, when NW was the giant in this market, 
new sports, um, even music, they had to some extent there. And you've seen that, that, that radio station go from a juggernaut to, you know, I don't want to say it's, but it is almost at the point where it's almost an afterthought. Um, the younger generation aren't listening to radio the way they, the way they used to 30, 40 years ago. I mean, most people now, I mean, they're going online or, you know, you even, you even have a streaming service in your car or whatever. And so, yeah, it's different. So is it dying to some extent? Will, will it ever completely die out? I mean, I would hope not. It's just, it's so hard to say, because I mean, things in the last 30 years have changed in a way that I don't think any of us could have possibly imagined. You know, I was born in the 80s. I couldn't imagine things changing the way that they have. It, it really has been unbelievable. And not just how, just how fast it changes. So in another 30 years from now, who the heck knows where we're going to be? So maybe, maybe, maybe there won't be radio. I, I wish I had an answer. I just don't know. I used to listen to Canuck schemes on my AM clock radio back in the day. Uh, well, yes, that, was, that was it when I was a kid. Right? Cause you know, you're lucky if you got the weekly game on hockey night in Canada, but otherwise my Canucks was completely uh, from Jim and Tom and calling the games. And that was what I got. Now here I am, like you said, 30 years later, how would I explain to 10 year old Pete that I would now be watching games through an app through my Apple TV. And that's, that's how I consume my Canucks games now. I mean, the delineage there and that, that whole process, you, you're right. 30 years from now, what are we going to be doing? We don't know, but I, I do think, I, I agree. I think there's some medium for radio out there, but I think like cable TV, it is changing and dying and is going to have to adapt. And so with this market, there's a lot of talent out there now. And, and what's going to happen with that is, is it, likely we're going to see another radio station pop up or are we going to maybe see something new uh, do you guys have any thoughts yeah, that's a that's a tough question uh, I, I mean especially when it comes to radio stations and, and and i don't i don't think you know the majority of people understand just what goes into that the red tape that goes into that dealing with the crtc the regulations it, it, it's not it's not as simple as being like, okay, hey guys, let's start a radio station. It, it, I mean, I wish it was that easy. I mean, we. The nice thing is for you know people like us, I can we can start a podcast and no one can no one can say anything to us. I mean, we can sit here and talk sports and then and then send it out to the masses to listen to. And there's no regulations there. I mean, within reason, unless you're defaming somebody on your podcast or something. But you know, there's really not much you can't do on a podcast. Whereas, you know, setting up a radio station, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of money that's needed, a lot of corporate dollars as we've seen, sadly. Um, so, I, I mean, could it happen? I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I like the give and take between the two stations and the difference. Um, it, it'll take some time. though. Yeah. I also think of satellite radio and how satellite radio was supposed to be this new unprecedented wave of the future for radio broadcasting and you were going to be able to swear and uh, you didn't have any of these restrictions as you would on the AM dial or the FM dial and even satellite radio, like it had a bit of a buzz for maybe a five, 10 year period. And it's died for the most part. Like, I don't know anyone who really listens to their satellite radio stations um, 
outside of maybe those diehard Howard Stern fans. And even then, you know, Howard Stern's a shell of what he used to be. <laughs> it, it is interesting. The thing, you know what, you know what actually honestly is kind of disturbing, not disturbing, but, you know, upsets me, Brendan, is, you know, yourself, you did the time, you went to BCIT, you did the course for broadcasting, and there's a whole bunch of young you know, future broadcasters that are enrolled now or looking to get enrolled next year. And the job market just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, what's the future of broadcasting as a whole? Like it just, it, it just really, it, it's an industry that I think is really important. I'm mean, all of us obviously are massive sports fans and we see it year after year after year, these you know, massive corporations just continue to make cuts here, cuts there, and the job market gets smaller and smaller. And the other thing I worry about is then the people that have those jobs start to get very much more cutthroat with one another. And they're, you know, willing to do whatever it takes to, to keep their spot. And unfortunately, yeah, I just find it really sad. It's funny when he said satellite radio, my first thought was Howard Stern as well. That was like the initial kind of like, this is what you can do on the radio now. That's that's kind of funny. Um, I do think as we've seen right now, though, that sports fans are going to consume media in one way or another. And, you know, the athletic you talked about before is, is a great example of that. Um, I have zone as well on my TV, which uh, also has some different ways that you can view content in the way they do it. And I think with with podcasts as well, you're you're going to continue to see more and more of this in the market. But it it does feel like, uh, you know, there's always been Canucks kind of multiple Canucks presences on the AM dial for a long time. It feels like, and this just uh, I don't know. It just feels like it's a tough week for Canucks fans already, and it just feels like you know you get a little bit more of your your heart ripped out there. You, you know, when I when I first got into that, and don't you you, you when you listen to Don Taylor, you know, he's obviously quite a bit older than I am, but, you know, he speaks about going to work in Dawson Creek and, and, in, and in Red Deer. And that's what you did. You know, that's the, the, even I was, I was kind of at the tail end of that. Um, but prior to that, that's what you did. You graduated from BCIT and then you went to some podunk city somewhere that had a local radio station that was small and, and, and you cut your teeth there. And it's, and it's not that way anymore because, because of stuff like this, you know, this gives you the training that you're going to need. Maybe not everything that you're going to, that, you know, BCIT still serves a very good function. Um, it gives you different, a different set of skills that you may not be able to learn, you know, just doing it on your own. Um, but everything's different now, you know, I mean, I don't need to go to somewhere. I can, I can do a podcast with my buddy and, and, gain that experience that way and sound just as good. And so, you know, the future is what we're doing here. I mean, I, you have to think that more podcasts are going to pop up. It, it just seems to be the way people are going. It's a cheaper way to do it. Um, and then it just, you know, you have to cross your fingers and hope you make it big because that's the way you do it. You need, you can't just, you can't have thousands of viewers or listeners to really make money. You'd need millions. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Well, and you're looking at corporations like Spotify buying up uh, corporations like Spotify buying up things like The Ringer from Bill Simmons for hundreds of millions of dollars. Joe and, Rogan, you know, that's well. that that shows you that they Rogan exactly. You know that they there is a massive untapped market and potential for podcasts to kind of be the next medium for broadcasting, whether that's true crime, sports. 
you know, movies, you know, all time worst movies or greatest movies, whatever it is, uh, it is shifting. You see it shifting kind of like how Blockbuster used to be your go to movie thing. Now it's turned into Netflix and streaming. I also wonder. And again, I don't I'm just thinking out loud here, guys, but I wonder how many people actually listen to the radio via a streaming app and whether or not you can actually measure those listens. Like I, myself, like I have an app on my phone. It's not the TSN app because the TSN app is garbage. And very rarely could I actually ever get 1040 to work on the actual app. I would have like TuneIn, which is a free app uh, on the stores. And I would listen to TSN through that. And I, you know, you just wonder like, do they even know how many people are actually listening in because there's no way for them to, I don't know, monitor the, those numbers or to understand that, you know, all those listens are actually counting and that your ad revenue is still making an impact on all those people. I assume they have to know. Um, I would assume they know. I mean, maybe at the local level, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I, I you don't want to, I don't want to say it's one, but you'd think they have to know in, in, in this era where, you know, to, you have to stay a step ahead and, and you do that by knowing where your listeners are, are listening to you so you can then gauge and target that maybe more. So I think they have to know at this point. I mean, if you're going to survive, you got to know what your, what sources are bringing in the most listeners, whether it's for us, you know, what doing podcasts, whether it's iTunes or it's, or it's Spotify or you post it on YouTube. Um, am I getting more listeners if I post on Facebook or on Twitter, you know, th- that, that sort of knowledge, those analytics for, for gauging an audience are, are, are extremely important. Um, so you can grow your audience. And so, you know, I mean, as you were saying earlier, as radio dies out, I mean, I have to think that there are people out there that must know where to go next, that if radio is not, if radio is dying, then they have to know what, 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 what's their next option um, and where, where the future is going. People smarter than me, I guess. Um, guys, we could talk about this for the whole episode. Um, been a pretty eventful week with the Canucks too. And I want to dive into that, but before I do, do you guys have any uh, quick final thoughts, um, for TSN 1040? Uh, I mean, just good luck to all of them. Um, you know, it's, it's an awful reality of the business. And I think most of them know that when they, I think pretty much everybody that was on that station had been let go somewhere before doesn't make it any easier. doesn't make you feel any better when it happens. Um, but I, I wish them all the best. I didn't necessarily agree with all of them, but that's, that's the nature of what they do. They're, they're, if I agreed with them all the time, I probably wouldn't listen to them. Um, so I understood wholly at, at all times what they were doing and why they were doing it and trying to drive discussion because that's the point of it. And, and I, most of them or all of them were very good at what they do. And, and I have no doubt they'll bounce back, but I, I, I do wish them the best because there's nothing worse than what they're going through right now. Yeah. It's the end of an era, sadly. It really, it, it feels that way. Yeah. It really feels like almost like a, a, a like a, in a weird way, like a, a, the death of a friend. Yeah, no, that makes sense, especially if it's someone that, you know, you had in your car when you go to and from work or uh, while you're at work or like, like Doug said when he's uh, he's listening to it uh, on the train to and from work. So uh, I agree. It, it's 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 a sad day in the marketplace. And, um, you know, it's a bad day when we have this piling on top of uh, the situation in Vancouver and the Canucks uh, after this road trip have almost have taken a back seat of in the news today. But 
I still want to dive into what is going on here because we've seen a lot of things. We've just had a terrible road trip. Guys, what is wrong with this team? Uh, where do you, I mean, <laughs> where do you start? Where do you start? I mean, I, I, I think the frustration for me, yeah, you lose three. I don't even want to say you lose two and a half important players because really Toffoli wasn't really there for much. He, he played 17 total games and I can understand, you know, Markstrom was obviously an important part of that team. Um, we know that, you know, I think you would have been completely blind if you didn't realize that he probably stole a, stole a whole whack of games last year. But I don't like the woe is me attitude and culture that seems to have been born out of the fact that you lose some players. This is professional sports, boys. Suck it up. Yep. You're going to yep. lose players. People are going to come and go from your lineup. It's inevitable. We're in a cap world. It's going to happen. So the fact that you'd hear Quinn Hughes go on, go on post game last night, after their loss in Toronto and say, you know, we're missing those guys. That's eye opening. It's 16 games in man. Like be a professional. You want you're about to, your contract's about to come up. You're You're going to get paid big bucks. I'm sorry. Time to put your big boy pants on. It, well, it's when... unacceptable. I just, I don't I find it completely unacceptable that they continue to, that this whining culture about what they lost. I just, I don't get it. Well, one thing that I've always said is you look at some of the great teams over the last couple of decades, and let's use Chicago as an example. Chicago, whenever they won the cup, and Pittsburgh went through this too, when they won the cup, they lost pieces. That, that just kind of comes with the territory. As teams get better, pieces leave. But with these guys that left, was it, do you think they, were, they had more of a glue and an impact on this team and this culture than what we were thinking, Doug? I mean, perhaps behind the scenes, but like, let's call a spade a spade here. Everybody wanted to drive Tanev's ass to the airport. No one wanted to sign him for a long-term deal. And when I say long-term, no one was looking to sign Tanev for another three, four years. I love Tanev. He's a great player. He, he, he was, it was unbelievable. He was able to stay healthy last year for an entire season. That's another thing that I think a lot of people are overlooking and thank, you know, being thankful for is that we actually got an entire year out of Tanev. Markstrom, it sounds like the Canucks wanted to resign him and Markstrom would not come down from his term or his dollar amount. He wanted term and he wanted a dollar amount and he wanted a full new no move clause, which would have forced management's hand to have to try to move Thatcher Demko. Demko's performance in the playoffs last year also gave, I think, management and a lot of fans out there, hey, this is our goalie of the future. How, why would you want to sign a goalie who's on just turned 30 to a six-year deal? Why do you not want this young goalie that we drafted and we developed in Utica for the past three, four years to be your, the future? He should be the future of the team. To Foley, I get that one because the assets we gave up to get him, you don't give up those assets and then not try to resign him. So I understand that. It was an unfortunate situation, but I think the OEL situation, the Canucks trying to chase Oliver Ekman Larson and that deal falling through uh, the last minute, I think then they started to move to another direction. Okay, well, we need to fill a hole on our D. And then they made the Nate Schmidt deal, which ate a bunch of their cap space, and they didn't have the money to sign to Foley. Troy Stetcher is the other guy that I know. Look, he's a heart and soul guy. I have nothing against Stetcher. He's a great bottom pairing 
right side guy, but he's not a difference maker in the sense that he's preventing this team from ever winning a Stanley cup. What do you guys think about the, um, the JT Miller situation right now? Uh, we, we saw Miller and Holtby get into it a couple games ago. We we've seen him look disengaged at times. Um, I guess what I'm alluding to is when you lose some of these guys on the team, like, like Mark Stroman Tanev in particular, who've been kind of heart and soul of the team, it's now kind of up to these next guys to take the reins on the team. Are we reading too much into JT Miller and his body language here? Or do you guys think there, there is something to it? Well, I mean, when you lose the way that they've lost, um, because there's no one on this planet that can tell me that this team is that is as bad as that they as they have been playing, where you're where you're not even in games. You can't tell me that that this this roster is that bad, and so when you read his body language, when you hear stories about cliques in the locker room, um, it's not a good thing. And so for a guy that came in last year, who was, you know, a lot of us were saying, hey, you know, captain material at the very least should have an A on his jersey. To go from that to now where you're seeing him just sort of give up. Um, and then the message that sends to, you know, a guy like it, it makes you wonder, you know, you've got Quinn Hughes saying, talking about the guys that have left. Um, Horvat's brought it up in the past, and it, it, it does. It makes you wonder what is this, what kind of effect is this guy having on the locker room all of a sudden? And, and you know, I know people, I know that there are a lot of people that don't want to hear that. They want to say, oh, did you see the way he played last season? But hey, I, I can only go on what I've seen this season. And what I've seen this season, a guy who just isn't there. I see a guy that, 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 that's floating. I see a guy that isn't back checking hard, and and I thought Braden Holtby had every right to be pissed off, and I, and if I if I'm his if I'm the goalie I'm pissed, and somebody needs to get in that guy's face and say, hey, if you don't want to be here, that's fine, but we need you here, and so if we're going to keep you around, you have to play and you have to set an example for these young players because they're looking to you, and so I've been I've been disappointed. I really have. I I didn't see this coming and. I don't think it's been overblown because I think when you look at the scoreboard every night, it has to have made an impact. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, one question I have for both of you guys is, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, Brendan, but um, I almost wonder if he doesn't want to be there. Let the protocols behind the scenes that the NHL's put into place. And you know what? The PA agreed, agreed to them. Players not being able to congregate after games or hang out with each other after games. They all have to isolate in a room by themselves. I just wonder, he's got a young family that obviously live in the U.S., so he doesn't get to see his family for the next six months because all the games are played in Canada. That's the other thing, right? At least, you know, if you were in the U.S., there might be a chance that you could see your family, but he's not going to be able to see his family here. And I don't know if you guys know, but like, was there an opt-out clause this year? Could players opt out of this season? I don't think they could. Could they? Not that I'm not that I'm aware of. In the same way that it, they were, uh, that it, there was during the bubble last year. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know of any player that opted out heading into this season. But I look at that stuff, and obviously he needs to go to work, so to speak. I, I just I don't know if he wants to be here. I, I don't know if he likes what's going on. And we saw that report from 
uh, Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan uh, from ESPN after the bubble about the players coming and talking about what life was like in the bubble. And I wonder if we'll see a similar report at the end of this season where players are going to say it was horrible. I mean, you saw what happened with the Washington Capitals. You know, a couple of guys were hanging out in one of their hotel rooms together. God knows doing what. I'm sure they were playing cards or just watching a movie or something stupid. And they get suspended and fined, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's I, I definitely think it's having an effect on a guy like him who is American, is away from his young family and is, you know, quote unquote, stuck in Canada during this pandemic. Uh, I mean, it, it very well could. I mean, you could absolutely be right. I mean, and, and, and we shouldn't discount that, you know, the emotional and uh, toll that that this takes on a player and especially if you are away from your family for an extended period of time during the season. Um, I mean, this is a season unlike any that we have ever seen. And, and in all, I mean, let's cross our fingers that we never will see again. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, that'd be an interesting question and, and you'd have to be absolutely crazy to think that it doesn't have some impact on them emotionally. It, it, it has to, you know, you're, you, I mean, you're worried every second that you're going to get COVID. You've got young families. Some of them you don't get to. I mean, it's just, it, it has to play an impact. What impact that had, that's had on him, I mean, I don't know. That 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 would be a question for him to, to answer. Well, also, I, I look at the Canucks and how they seem to really gel and bond in the bubble, the playoff bubble last year. And now they're not allowed to do that, right? After a game, they have to go directly to their hotel room, hang out there by themselves, get on a charter the next day to fly back to Vancouver, fly to their next uh, destination. And that's it. And so that camaraderie that this, that this group built in the playoff bubble last year, it's, it's not existent, unfortunately. My, my only counter with that is that every team goes through that. And again, that's where I kind of wonder if there's personnel changes and the guys have brought in, if that combination is maybe affected Vancouver more than other teams. I mean, there are, there are games when there are three rookies in the lineup as well. Uh, you know, most games of the season, half your defensive partners are different from last year. So half your goaltending tandem is different and you, you've lost the, the backbone back there. So I do wonder if maybe it takes more of a toll, but also every team is going through that. They're just maybe not hopping as long distances as Vancouver is. And so there, there is definitely that aspect of it as well. Um, I, I do kind of want to play a little bit of the blame game here, though. And I want to ask you guys, uh, as you know, there's been a lot of calls on social media for fire banning. There have been people calling for Travis Green's head. Uh, there have been people calling for the Aquilinis to sell the team. Where do you guys, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to say place the blame, but where where is this heaviest in the organization? Oh boy, that's tough. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it does. I mean, unless the problem is we don't really know how much influence Francesco Aquilini and the Aquilinis want to have. We don't have that answer. No one's answering that question. No one knows where, how much we believe that he, that he's a meddler. That's, that's the reputation that he has. And if that's the case, then he has to take the brunt of the responsibility then that you're the, then, then why are you not hiring your guys and letting them do their job? You know, you hire a guy, he has his vision, go let him put that vision together. Because if you meddle, you know, here and there, 
it, it, it really does affect things. But I mean, I think in the end, you know, I mean, Jim Benning put the personnel together. I mean, I mean, he takes a share of the blame. And I mean, I've made this argument. I've made, I've had long, exhausting discussions with media members on Twitter uh, about where the, where the blame lies with Travis Green. And, and I keep saying, if, if the personnel was as bad as everyone seems to think that it was, then why are they playing a style that doesn't, that doesn't lend itself to the, to what, to the product they're putting on the ice? It, it just, that, that to me is completely nonsensical to, if your team's so bad defensively, if you lost arguably your best defensive player, well, then you're going to have to find a style that makes up for that loss. Because I say this over and over again, I see teams with way less talent than the Canucks have that defend as a five-man unit on the ice a hell of a lot better. Yeah, just going right to your uh, statement there, Brendan, about the team defense and some of the blame Travis Green's getting. I almost wonder if it's like one extreme to the other, right? You went from Willie Desjardins, which was, and no offense, Willie seems like a super nice guy. I, you know, I'm not here to to talk crap about anybody. You know, I don't like, I understand why people are calling for Benning's head, but it, it feels gross, you know? Yeah, no one Absolutely. Yeah, like it feels gross, you know, going out of your way to fire Benning and hashtag fire Benning. Like it just, I, it, I, I'm uncomfortable with it. But Willie Desjardins and that era of Canucks was probably some of the most boring and at least in recent memory, bad style of play that the Canucks have played in years. And Travis almost seems like he's that extreme, the opposite extreme to what the style Willie was playing. And I wonder if ownership said, hey, I want us to play more up tempo. I don't care if we lose. I blame the majority of the issues that are happening, in my personal opinion, on ownership, hands down. I think originally Aquilini hired Linden. It was a PR move. Linden was beloved by the fan base. Everyone, you know, he was one of the biggest, if not the biggest icon in Canucks history. So you hire him. It's a PR move. Linden then, obviously he was green, starts putting in people to work around him. He hired Jim Benning. Then, obviously, I think Benning did everything he could to keep his job and wanted to keep Aquilini happy. Now you can... Take it with a grain of salt, but Gillis pretty much confirmed that he had a trade in place the year prior to him getting fired for Ryan Kessler, and that was next. Lawrence Gilman kind of cooperated that. Whether or not you want to believe that, who knows? Obviously, they both could be bitter since they were fired by Aquilini. There's also reports that Aquilini forced Gillis to hire John Tortorella and that he never wanted to hire John Tortorella, and he didn't think Tortorella was the right coach for that aging court, but he did because that's what he was told to do. I look at Dean Lombardi, who apparently, if you believe those reports, had been reached out to multiple times by ownership to potentially interview for the vacant president job. And he wouldn't even take a he wouldn't even take an interview. Like to me, that goes to show that he definitely has a mystique about him of being a meddling owner. And I think personally, there are a lot of guys that don't want to work under those circumstances. You know, they want they don't want the owner constantly looking over their back, telling him what to do, what not to do. I I definitely think Jim Benning's made some egregious errors in his tenure as the GM. However, I do think he's done some good. And I don't think enough people give the credit where the credit's due. You know, it's like, oh, 
Elias Patterson. Oh, well, that was a Judd Brackett pick. I hate that. It's like, no, dude, he's the GM. He has final call on every draft pick. If he wants to put his foot down and say, no, we're picking this player, he can. And he went with the pick that other people, apparently he wanted Tanner, or, uh, Tanner not Tanner Glass, pardon me, Cody Glass. And he decided to go with Petey. Good for him. Um, I 100% put the blame on ownership. Do you guys think... Um... With ownership, because I, I I know like most Canucks fans, like you said, they, you know there's there's always been the rumors about that of hands in the Louis Erickson signing and then the Jake for and pick and other things as well. But with the the way the team is structured right now, uh, and you look at what Pittsburgh just did, bringing in uh, a two headed monster in in many ways uh, with their moves today, is that something more uh, like a structure that the Canucks should be looking at? Uh, I'm a firm believer in having your, your general manager and your like hockey operations department and creating that structure and, and having it separate from ownership and letting the guys do what they're good at. But do you think that is something that maybe we've just kind of overlooked for the last few years? I mean, it comes down to what Doug said before, you know, I mean, if, you know, you, you absolutely want that structure. And, and, and I, I've said recently that I think, you know, Hey, I, I love your Roberto Luongo and I'm sure even Roberto Luongo would agree. He's probably not ready to take on a position in a city like Vancouver, especially after you see what, what Trevor Linden went through. But the problem is if this owner has a, has a reputation as a meddler um, and it, I mean, who are you going to get with experience? I mean, you know, Brian Burke's not going to come here and deal with that. It's not going to put up with that crap. I mean, guys that you would want that, I mean, not necessarily as a general manager, but more as a president, you know, the, the, the guy that, that just to, that, to lead the group. I mean, he's not necessarily the general manager. I mean, Brian Burke is a perfect example now. I mean, he's kind of gone that figurehead position, that stern authority at the top. Uh, I think the Canucks need that. I th- I thought the Canucks have needed that for a while, but now the problem is who's going to come here. Uh, I-, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of people that are, you know, names that I can come up with off the top of my head that, that would want to. And I, I can't think of, I mean, the-, the rumor was out there that Dale Talon made, but again, Dale Talon is a guy that likes autonomy. You know, I mean, and will he get autonomy here in Vancouver? I, I mean, it just by by everything that we've seen with this or with this ownership group, I don't know. I I, I doubt it. And so maybe in the end, they're going to have to go to a to another first time president or GM just because no one else is going to want to come here. I also think going back to your Brian Burke point, uh, I think he actually holds a grudge against the Aquilines for the way they fired Dave Nonis. I think he, you know, Notice and Burke obviously have a very close relationship. And I, I, I think, you know, that bugs and irks Brian Burke quite a bit, the way the Aquilinese kind of threw Notice uh, off to the side after he made a big splash the year prior with the Roberto Luongo deal. He didn't even really get a chance to kind of see that the, you know, the fruits of that trade develop. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, it's, it's long been a rumored issue here in Vancouver, but I, I it's I, when you talked about, you know, the whole fire and fire bending and, and this, I, I don't think it's quite as, as simple as that anyways. I don't know if firing anyone right now is actually going to do anything. Like, because is that going to be a further distraction to what it, what is on the ice? If you remove a GM or a coach right now, 
Um, what do you guys think timing wise, if you're, if there was to be any sort of organizational move and I'm not saying there is, is this something you wait until the end of the season to do? I, I'd said, I, uh, yeah, I've said that on a, f- I, I mean, I said that a lot lately that if you're going to make a move, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to make it now. I mean, you're in, you're in, in the middle of an, a season that is as unprecedented as any that we've ever seen. Um, there's not much, there's not much, like if you, if you, you fire your coach now, first of all, I don't see that happening because I just don't see the Aquilini's giving Jim Benning another coach hire in, in his tenure. Um, so that doesn't make sense, but even if they were to go down that route, you know, what can a coach really do right now? You, you don't get many days off. You're not getting much time to practice. So those structures and, and the implementation of a system that you want your team to play in a style that you want to play, you can't instill, you can't install anyways because you don't have the time to do it. Um, and then from a general manager's point of view, it's hard to make trades right now. Uh, the logistics of it all, quarantines and all of that, that, that go with bringing in a new player or having your player go out. I mean, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. To, to fire your general manager now. I think you wait to the end of the season, you do it then, and then install somebody and get ready for what we all hope is, is, is a, a rebirth of the NHL post-pandemic in, in 2021, 2022. Guys, uh, just we're, we're running a bit out of time here. Um, so I kind of wanted to end this on a more positive note because this has been, uh, this has been a pretty, pretty heavy conversation for the last 40 minutes or so. Um, and I know we're all passionate fans and I like to, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm like the eternal optimist with this team, but I always, you know, I'm always trying to find good. So I want to ask you guys, you can give me one, you can give me a couple. Um, and I'll, I'm going to take the Niels Hoglander hype for, uh, first off the bat here, but besides Niels Hoglander, what have you liked about this team and what you've seen so far? I shouldn't say besides, because if you want to praise Niels Hoglander as well, go nuts, because he's been, he's been a joy to watch. I mean, obviously, Hoglander is the obvious pick. I mean, Hoglander has come in here and, and, and done everything that you, that, that you would hope that he could have done. I think that's why I kind of look at everybody with the Toffoli letting him go. And yeah, I don't like losing assets, but in the end, I mean, we've gotten an opportunity to see this young kid in, in a top six role right away. Um, I, I think the last month of, of pod Colson season has really, really began to open some eyes. Cause I think he's got, gained his confidence playing with men in the KHL um, and, and just the, thought of having two real honey badgers on that second line um that that really has me has me quite excited because i think i think that that young kid's going to be a heck of a player he may never be the a prolific goal scorer but he's the kind of player that 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 people in this city love i mean there's a reason why we love hoglander the guy comes to work every day he, he doesn't take a shift off. Hell, he gets cut in the face by his visor on a, on a puck that comes up there and he comes, he goes off leaking blood and he's back out. You know, not that, you know, we should be, I know there are a lot of people that are like, you know, that sort of masculinity should be frowned upon a little more now. Um, but I mean, Pod Colson's much in the same vein. Doesn't take a shift off, works his ass off every single shift. Um, and and those are the guys that, that this city least in its history do tend to embrace. So I, I, I know people in the short term are unhappy. 
I know there. I know this season hasn't gone the gone the way that we all hoped it would have, or at least up until this point. They have chance. They have a time to turn it around. But I, I, I try to plead with people just to look forward, look ahead. This isn't the end of the window closing. This is just the beginning of it. Um, and and a guy like Thatcher Demko will get better. Connor Hellebuck struggled his first year when he was the guy. Give give Demko some time. He will get there. Um, and and I just I. I think even with this slow start, there's so much positive going forward. Um, they have to work out, work through some issues, some cap issues. Um, but whether that's Jim Benning or somebody else, I, I just, I'm positive about where this team is heading. I like that. I like that, Brandon. Doug, for you, any, uh, any other positives? Uh, yeah, for me, I would say uh, the play of Brock Besser. I think he, he looks way more engaged. He wins puck battles along the boards a lot more than he was the last couple of years. His skating looks like he really worked on the skating this off season and his shot seems to be back. Um, you know, everyone's saying, Oh, rookie Brock is back. And I kind of agree. I think Besser has been probably the biggest, uh, bright spot on the lotto line this year. Uh, he, he has looked really good. And you know what? I'm even going to say the young defenseman, uh, Olio Levy, Jalen Chatfield. I know Chatfield had a really rough game. I think it was the second game against Toronto. He looked all out of sorts. He was on the ice for, I think four of the five even strength goals, but honestly, I've liked what I've seen out of Chatfield. I didn't realize the kid could skate as well as he can. Um, he jumps up on the play, whether or not the Canucks should be playing that style where your defensemen are jumping up in the play and activating like that and, you know, creating odd man rushes the, uh, the other way. But uh, I've really liked Chatfield's game. And then Olio Levy, he just plays that quiet, steady game. Uh, we still haven't seen the best out of Olio Levy yet. He's never going to live past the hype of, you know, Matthew Kachuk being taken with the very next pick. Unfortunately, that's just a shadow that's going to overcast his entire career, just like Jake Vertanen with William Nylander and um, the Danish kid in Nikolai Ehlers. Uh, Jake's kind of going through the same thing, but I, I, I've liked what I've seen out of Olio Levy for the most part, and I've liked what I've seen out of Jalen Chatfield, and they're still young rookies in playing their first kind of NHL games, and I think they have potential to be contributing members to this team moving forward on the blue line. Yes, for the love of God, you know, because I saw it after that game, do not write off Jalen Chatfield after one bad game. For the love of God, please don't do that. I mean, he had one rough game going up against one of the best players in the world, and he struggled. He's not the first defenseman to struggle. He was not the last defenseman to struggle. He's young. He's only played a handful of games. Both of them have. Let's give them a chance to work their way and ease their way into the lineup. And 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 I think both in the end, with when you got Rathbone as well, I think their defense in the future will be all right. And another thing with Chatfield is the Canucks have a, a pretty successful history with guys that have gone undrafted and, and worked their way up. Um, I, I'm with you guys. Never write off a rookie D-man. They, they need more time than other positions. Um, also, I'd like to chuck uh, Petey in there in the good boat. He had a slow start, really snake bitten, still hitting posts, but he does seem to have his swagger back. He's been point to game his last 10 games since the slow start. And also Cole Lind down in Utica has been really heating up as well and uh, jumping up the development chart a bit more. He could be pushing for a roster spot. Third line, the, 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 the big thing with him, watch out. He's playing center for the first time ever in, 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 in his 
a pro career. I don't know what he, I don't think he ever played in junior either. So, you know, I mean, the rumors around Adam Gaudet, what his future may or may not be with this, with this organization, you might have a guy there that, that in the end could end up being your third line center. Obviously there's, there's a long way to go before we know that, but you know, the, 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 they're starting them in that direction. Also the likelihood of the Canucks needing to protect Cole Lind if he has a lights out AHL season because the uh, Seattle could take him the expansion draft makes an asset like Gaudette or an asset like Vertanen uh, more expendable. No, nope, you're absolutely right. Yeah, for sure. You know, Seattle is something that I haven't really even had time to think that much about, but that's still everyone keeps thinking it's Braden Holtby, but uh, I wouldn't bet my too much on that right now. That, you would that, have to have a hell of a back after that season, right? With the way things have gone so far. Yeah. Hey, Brandon, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, folks, if you aren't following him on Twitter, it's Jabo underscore Vancouver. Always one of our favorite follows. Uh, any last words before we got to let you go? Uh, I, I, I liked where they went. I, I know some people weren't as high on what they did in the first two, in the first 40 minutes in their last game in Toronto. I, I was encouraged that I saw a little more structure, a little more, especially in the neutral zone where they've had a lot of issues. They weren't turning the puck over. In fact, they were creating more turnovers, uh, way more turnovers. I don't think they actually committed a turnover in the first 40 minutes of that hockey game. Um, so if they can continue that, and really as you get confident playing that style, your offense will come with it. So I, I'm interested to see where they, whether this was just a blip on the radar or if this is the start of, uh, of some better hockey, especially defensively um, as they start to play four games against Calgary. Yeah, I agree. It's well said. I think, um, you know, it was a better effort against Toronto. We got a lot of games against Calgary coming up here. Let's see if we can carry it over. Brandon, thanks again. We'll, we'll have to do this another time. All right. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no worries, guys. Anytime. All right. It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor. And I want to talk about home baking. I know it was a big thing early on in COVID and there was people putting up social media photos of the bread they baked or the cakes they baked. And Grace and I, my fiance, uh, you know, we didn't really do too much baking. But last night she went out of her way to bake this incredible, and I mean incredible, carrot cake with a cream cheese icing. It does have walnuts, Pete, so unfortunately you couldn't eat it. But yeah, man, it's just baking is... I've never really been into baking. It's never been my thing. I love cooking, but I think it's because baking always has so many rules. You need exactly this measurement, that measurement. I like the kind of... I think I look at like cooking is more like jazz and baking is more like math rock. That's how I kind of look at it. But uh, yeah... Uh, you know, helping her out a little bit last night with the baking. I, I actually found it really, really relaxing. And to anyone out there who does a ton of baking on their own, you know what? I think I might start doing it myself. Ah, nice, man. Yeah, but uh, leave those walnuts out of there. Baking, I always need recipes. I don't cook with uh, recipes uh, otherwise, but baking, yeah, you, you got to have the recipes for that. But there is something therapeutic about it because you're not rushed with it. You can take a little bit more time when 
you're cooking a meal, sometimes everything happens all at once. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I wanted to talk about something that I tweeted a little bit about a couple days ago and a few people uh, got in on it. We had uh, some fun little music discussion. But someone asked me recently uh, about the 10 most influential albums in in my life. And I mean, this we could do a whole episode just on, on that, Doug. But I, I kind of got to thinking, I'm like, influential albums for me... They have to be something that happened earlier in your life. And so for me, kind of like influential would probably, you know, cut, cut off at like 16 or 18. So that kind of gives you a certain window of stuff that you either listen to as a kid that your parents subjected to or kind of your first wave of listening to music. So, of course, for me, I was like, well, Nirvana's Nevermind comes right to mind. So I actually looked it up and the single Smells Like Teen Spirit actually came out the week that I started high school. So I was like, wow, that that's big. And then I was like, okay, well, what other ones from around that era do I really kind of remember? And I was thinking of a few, I was like, well, Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Chili's, even though I don't really, I'm not a huge Chili's fan by any stretch. I don't mind them, but I really like that album. And, it, and without that, it wouldn't have led me into Rage Against the Machine and, and kind of stuff like that as well. So I started digging and I realized that September 24th, the, so three weeks after I started high school, both Nevermind and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and also Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger, and also Tribe Called Quest's Low End Theory, which is my favorite hip-hop album, were all released on the same day, September 24th, 1991. It just kind of blew my mind. I mean, we all know that 1991 was an epic year for albums, but to have all four of those released on the same day, three weeks after I'd started junior high school over at Cedar Hill in Victoria, um, I, I just thought that was kind of mind-blowing. Um, and so I just wanted to share that. September 24th, 1991. Didn't know it at the time, but here I am many years later talking about it anyways. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 63, just about in the books. I want to thank Brendan, also known as Jabbo underscore Vancouver, once again for joining us. It was a great conversation. Uh, always enjoy his tweets and his content that he puts out there and uh, his take with the team. So I want to thank him again for joining us. Uh, Doug, we went a little longer this episode, but it was pretty emotional. There's a lot to go over and I feel like we skimmed on a lot of things. We could have gone down a lot of rabbit holes and made this a three-hour podcast today. Yeah, I mean, I think when we woke up this morning and we were kind of thinking about how the Coles notes of this episode was going to go, we didn't expect the bombshell dropping about TSN 1040 and the station literally just getting wiped off wiped off the uh, the dial, so to speak. Uh, and yeah, I agree. Shout out to Brandon. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's always a great conversation. Any of the interactions or comments you you know I have with you online, they're always very positive and balanced. And that's what I really enjoy is like a balanced, calm conversation as opposed to some of the heated discussions that happens. Uh, but yeah, man, it's it, it's a very interesting time right now in Vancouver, just with where the hockey team sits with obviously an entire voice of the of the fan base gone it just uh yeah it's it's really interesting to see uh where we are in the next six months yeah it really is and i i think um it's going to take a little while to process on all sides and see where this all shakes out but uh, i agree with what you said about brendan and the level-headedness and having a discussion it's something that I think this fan base really needs to keep in mind is remember that, you know, 
we we can have discussions. Opinions can change uh, on the team. Uh, you know, opinions can change on yourself, and you don't necessarily need to be bookmarked and held accountable for him. But just just have conversations, and that's what we like to do here: is try and keep it even. We'll change our opinions and our views when needed, but. Uh, just having a good conversation. Um, and speaking of, I'm on Twitter at Pete underscore gas. This jam is getting added to the, the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify as well. So check that out. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn and be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. And as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Yeah.